you think. You, <laughs> never, I never thought I'd read uh, uh, "Don't be overly righteous" in the in the scriptures. <laughs> so uh, had to had to think about what that what that means. You know, what is he trying to say? So uh, that's what we'll wrestle with tonight. Don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wise. Um, is the counsel the preacher gives us tonight. So we'll we'll uh, can't just. Uh, can't just read through Ecclesiastes in a big hurry. You gotta, you gotta stop and chew on it and think through what the preacher is saying. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So we'll uh, we'll unpack the words of the preacher tonight. Before we do, I've already mentioned a few prayer concerns, the, the, the ransom family and the guilt. All right, so we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And the preacher has uh, uh, told us that in the day of adversity, we last time we were together, we talked about how to, how to, uh, how to live, how to survive in the day of adversity, and that is to remember that God has uh, ordained the the day of prosperity, and we can be joyful in that. And uh, He has also ordained the day of adversity, and we can uh, 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 do well in that. And now He turns to uh, a new topic in verse 15. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor foolish, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this, and also not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will escape them all. And uh, uh, kind of mentioned, you ever think you would read a, a Bible verse that said, Do not be overly righteous, do not be overly wise. One of the things about... Uh, uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is he makes us think, and we have to uh, uh, to really dig into the things that he's saying. It's wisdom literature, and he is uh, sharing his observations under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and uh, uh, and he really makes us slow down and think about the things that he has he has said and how they apply to our lives. and uh, And th in this passage, actually, asks an age old question that seems to baffle people in every generation: Why do good people seem to suffer while bad people seem to uh, prosper and do do very well you know we look around and we see uh, young innocent people and uh, we see uh, see see bad things happen uh, to, to people that we would say are good or innocent and then we see uh, uh, people who are evil and wicked seem to be doing right well and the preacher says I have uh, I've seen everything in my days of vanity. There's a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. And, and we ask, how can that happen in a world where God is in control, where God is sovereign and God is good? Uh, how can it be that the righteous seem to suffer and that the wicked uh, seem to prosper? How can this happen in a world that is controlled by a good and loving and sovereign God, and and actually, uh, 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 the the preacher says this 
he, he makes this observation in light of scriptures that tell us that God will reward righteousness with a long life. And I'm just going to read a few of them just to, uh, to set this, the, the background, the backdrop for what the preacher says to us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Deuteronomy 4.40, you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God has given you for all time. Deuteronomy 5.33, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Deuteronomy 25, 15. You shall live a perfect and you shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord has given you. Deuteronomy 32:47 For it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over to possess. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 My son do not forget my law but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. That's just a sampling of the passages where God appears to promise long life to the righteous. He promises long life to those who obey His commands and His, his statutes. Uh, he promises long life to prolong the days of those who walk in His ways. And yet the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he has all these passages, and he, but he observes a just man perishing in his righteousness, and a wicked man prolonging his life in wickedness. And so he has observed this, and so many passages that tell us that the righteous uh, will have length of days. Well, there, there are passages that teach the, that the wicked will be cut off. Psalm 5, 6, You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Psalm 37, 1 and 2, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Green herb. Psalm 37, 9, For evildoers will be cut off, simply. Psalm 55, 23, But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. Psalm 101.8, Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. And so in a right-side-up world, the righteous live long, the wicked are cut off. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a world where, uh, where, where, where things are right, the righteous will prolong his life and his righteousness, and the wicked will perish in his wickedness. But what has the preacher seen in verse 15? Just the opposite. It's an upside-down world. 
In a right side up world, we would expect the righteous to live long and the wicked to be cut off. But we live in an upside down world where the righteous perish in their righteousness and the wicked prolong their days in their wickedness. Uh, and we even see that in, in Scripture. In fact, the first two babies that were born in this world, first two babies born in this world, what are their names? Cain and Abel. That's right, Cain and Abel, the first two babies. And we're told that the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Who lived longer, Cain or Abel? Cain, because Cain killed Abel. <laughs> and so Abel, the righteous, the righteous Abel, was cut off. And Cain, you know, he never got married, never had offspring, died at a young age. But Cain grew to an older age, was married, had offspring, and uh, 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 lived a long time. And, uh, and so... Uh, uh, we even see it in the scripture. And there were two men in, in Israel. Uh, one was named Naboth and one was named Ahab. And Naboth had a vineyard. Uh, it was a, a, a vine dresser. And Ahab was king. And Ahab set his heart on Naboth's vineyard, wanted it and offered to pay fair market value for Naboth's vineyard. But Naboth refused to sell the vineyard to the king. Why? Because that was his inheritance. You remember when Israel came into the land, the land was divided up by lot among the tribes and among the clans and among the families, and it was to stay in the family so that uh, it wouldn't happen over time where a tribe might be wiped out and lose its inheritance if you know if they they got in the position and they sold you know if all the people in the tribe of uh, asher sold all their stuff to the people of the tribe of issachar well then asher uh, thousands of years later wouldn't have any land and so god made it so that uh, uh, the land was to stay in the family that was god's ordinance that was god's law that was god's requirement and even if you got to a place where you were poverty stricken you couldn't make a living and you had to sell your land at the year of Jubilee, 50 years later, all the land would come back into the family. And so Naboth was actually righteous. Naboth did the right thing. He refused to sell the, the, the land that was his inheritance, the land that his family had been given by the Lord when the land was, was divided among the, the tribes. Naboth did the right thing, and he refused to sell his tribal inheritance to the king in accordance with the word of the Lord. So Naboth... Righteous, did the right thing, obeyed God's command and God's statute. Well, this made Ahab mad, and Ahab's countenance fell, and he was angry. And Ahab's wife, Jezebel, said, why are you so angry? He said, well, I want Naboth's vineyard, and he won't sell it to me. And she said, well, I'll fix that. And so she got two scoundrels to come to the king's table and to testify that Naboth had blasphemed the Lord and the king. And if you got two witnesses in the Old Covenant that would testify the same thing and make the same accusation, uh, two witnesses was all that was required to establish guilt. And so these two scoundrels, the, <laughs> the, the writer of Kings calls them, these two scoundrels 
Both testified that Naboth had blasphemed the king and the Lord, and blasphemy was a crime punishable by death, by being stoned to death. So Naboth was stoned to death, and Ahab went and took possession of his vineyard. Upside down world. Naboth was righteous. Ahab was wicked, who lived longer. Ahab actually sat on the throne of Israel for 22 years after that. And so uh, uh, we live in an upside-down world. And we see it in our own experience. We, we all hear of good kids killed in car accidents, killed in four-wheeler accidents, you know, good kids killed very young. We, we know of young Christian mothers get cancer. and We read about children killed in tornadoes or, or hurricanes, earthquakes, one dying in Mississippi of COVID while hardened criminals live to a ripe old age. Uh, uh, over in Hamilton, we go, we go to the work release. Well, there's two, uh, there's two, um, two prisons in Hamilton, the work release and the A&I, the aged and infirmed. And so <laughs> that's where all these people who've been in jail their whole life and are now uh, old and sick, they go to the A&I prison in Hamilton. And uh, we, we see these, these, these people who live this long life and we, we live in an upside down world. So that leads us to ask two questions. How do we explain it? We have all these scriptures where God says he will prolong the life of the righteous or the righteous, the lives of the righteous will be prolonged and the wicked will be cut off. And yet, even in scripture and in our own observation, we see that that's upside down. The righteous uh, perish in their righteousness while the wicked prolongs life in his wickedness. And so how do we explain that? And then the second question is, why be righteous? What's the motivation to be righteous? If the wicked prolong his days and the righteous are, are, are cut off, what is the motivation for doing right, for being good? Why bother? And that seems to be the counsel of the preacher in verse 16. Well, don't be overly righteous, <laughs> nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And we read those words. We can't believe what we're reading. Uh, uh, we think of another preacher, a preacher who will come a thousand years after this preacher and will gather his disciples on a hillside in Galilee, along the Sea of Galilee, and preach the, the greatest, perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached. The, they call it the, the Sermon on the Mount. This, this great preacher named Jesus will come and gather his followers, and he will say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That preacher on the, on the mountain, he will say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these temporary things like food, drink, and clothing will be added unto you. And that preacher will even go so far as to counsel us to be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. And, and surely... Surely the preacher in Ecclesiastes is not contradicting the preacher in Matthew. We, we recognize that all of the scripture is the word of God, God's word, and God's word does not contradict itself. And so if we see a contradiction, the problem is with us and not with the scripture. Surely the preacher in Ecclesiastes is not contradicting the preacher in Matthew. Surely the preacher in Ecclesiastes is not opposed to us hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Surely he's not opposed to us seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And surely he is not opposed to us striving to be perfect. 
even as our Father in heaven is perfect. And so how are we to understand the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes when he tells us to not be overly righteous and not be overly wise? And I believe the key to the understanding of uh, what the preacher says here goes back to what he observes in verse 15. He has seen that the just man perishes in his righteousness, and he sees the wicked man prolong his life in his wickedness. And he also knows that God has promised long life to the righteous and he has promised to cut off the wicked. So in our observation, we might conclude that those who have died young might not be righteous enough. And so we might be tempted to try to be more righteous than they. They might have looked good to us, but there was obviously something that they did to deserve being cut off. It's the same way that Job's three friends looked at him. Remember, we studied through the book of Job, and Job experienced this great suffering, the most profound suffering of any person ever to live on the face of the earth with the exception of Lord Jesus Christ himself. Job experienced this unbelievable suffering, and his friends came and said, there has got to be a reason. There must be something that you have done. You are... Uh, obviously hiding some secret horrible sin and God is giving you his justice and his righteousness. You just need to confess that, forsake that, repent that, and everything will go well with you. And so we might be tempted to think the same way, that, uh, that, that i got to be better. And, and I'm comparing myself to this person who died young and saying, I've got to be better, I've got to work harder I've got to be more righteous than than they were comparing ourselves to them and thinking that I've got to be more righteous in order to avoid an untimely death and I might uh, decide I must pursue righteousness with all of my life uh, all of my might in order to obtain a long life I must work hard at righteousness in order to prolong my life and I think that's the temptation that the, the preacher uh, replies. To, he, he addresses that temptation when he counsels us not to be overly righteous. He's addressing our heart. Don't try to be super righteous. And he counsels us according to the biblical principle, no matter how righteous you might manage to be, no matter how righteous you might become through your own self-effort, no matter how righteous you might be through your own strength, you will never be able to force God to prolong your life in response to your righteousness. No matter how righteousness you might be, you will not force God to add one cubit to your life. And he, and he, he tells us, uh, uh, you know, because the, the truth is, we will never be perfectly righteous. No matter how hard we try, and we will never be able to prolong our lives through righteous living. No matter how much effort we put into it. And he tells us that in verse 20. Uh, verse 20, there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. 
And so the fact is we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. And no matter how hard we work at righteousness, we will never be able to overcome and atone for our sin. We are always sinners and we always deserve death. And so no matter how hard we work at it, we can never become righteous enough that we overcome the sentence of death that is upon us. There is nothing that we can do in our own effort that will force God to add one minute to our lives. No matter how righteous we work, how, 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 how many righteous works we do, we can never undo the sin that we have done. We will never obtain perfect righteousness. So striving for perfection, being super righteous, Comparing ourselves to others and saying, I'm going to be more righteous to them so that I might add days to my life is a failure to accept our limitations, to acknowledge our failings, and to confess our weakness and our sinfulness. And striving to be overly righteous can lead to self-glory, it's self-serving, and it can blind us to our own sinfulness. Do not strive to be super righteous in an attempt to prolong your life. And that, uh, uh, that preacher in Matthew, you know, later he would confront overly righteous people who thought that they needed nothing because they were blameless according to the law. And uh, that preacher in Matthew preached this sermon where repeatedly he said, Woe to you, super righteous. Woe to you, overly righteous. And so the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us the same thing as the preacher in Matthew. We, no matter how hard we work at it, how hard we strive, we will never overcome our sinfulness and we will never manipulate or force God to add one minute to our life. He is sovereign over that. And my very next breath is nothing but God's mercy toward me because I deserve death and I deserve an eternity in hell no matter how righteous I might have become. Questions about that? So, all right, well, this, the next... Uh, what? <laughs> It's, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's arrogant, prideful to think that I can do something that will make God say, oh, I'm, I'm going to, yeah. That. Because his view is be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So no matter how hard I work, how righteous I become, I will never be perfect. And I will never be able to atone for the sin that I've, that I've committed. No matter how righteous I am. Amen. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So that's what the preacher's telling us. Don't try to be saved by your work. Don't try to prolong your life by doing good things in your own self-effort because that leads to pride. And the same thing. Uh, he, he, he tells us don't be overly righteous and don't be overly wise. Uh, while wisdom is of great value, 
And the preacher tells us the value of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is of great value, but the pursuit of wisdom from a wrong heart for the wrong reason can be just as disastrous as wrongly motivated pursuit of righteousness. We must never pursue wisdom with the thought that we can outsmart God <laughs> or that we can manipulate God or that we can make him to where he owes us. And so we should never think that through the pursuit of wisdom we can cause God to, uh, uh, you know, we can manipulate God to prolong our lives. Again, the arrogance and pride. Um, wisdom has its upside, but there is uh, also a negative side to wisdom. The preacher's already told us in Ecclesiastes 1.18, In much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Uh, you ever heard the, the phrase, what you don't know won't hurt you? <laughs> and, uh, and wisdom can increase sorrow. The more we know, the more uh, uh, anxious and sorrowful we can become. Um, and, and so uh, uh, pers pursuit of wisdom can lead to sorrow and grief. And again, pursuit of wisdom can lead to pride and arrogance, self-glory. And uh, the preacher in Proverbs tells us that uh, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, haughty spirit before a fall. And so the preacher tells us, do not be overly righteous, do not be overly wise. Why would you destroy yourself? And so instead of adding to your life, it can actually be destructive. Um, and so uh, uh, you think you can prolong your life by being super wise or super righteous, you are headed for destruction and disappointment. Um, and so don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wise. Don't try to pursue righteousness and wisdom in an attempt to extend your life. And so, uh, so that's, that's the counsel of the preacher. How do we live in, a, in an upside-down world? Well, don't. You know, accept your weaknesses and your limitations and don't try to uh, be overly righteous or overly wise in an attempt to extend your life. But he also shows us the opposite side of the coin. Verse 17, don't be overly righteous. Also, then don't also don't be overly wicked. Don't be overly wise, but also don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. Why should you die before your time? So he, he tells us the other side of the coin by being righteous, I'm not going to add anything to my life. By being wise, I'm not going to add a minute to my life. But by doing wickedness and being stupid, I might shorten my life. <laughs> I'm not going to add anything to my life by my righteousness and my wickedness. But, um, but if I abandon the pursuit of righteousness and I say, you know what, I can't. If I can't add anything to my life, and what's the point of being righteous? Uh, a just man perishes in his righteousness while the wicked man prolongs his wickedness. Well, then I just won't try to be righteous. I'll just be wicked. <laughs> well, the preacher says, don't do that either. Don't be overly wicked. Uh, don't abandon the pursuit of righteousness. Don't abandon the pursuit of wisdom. Don't say, just because I'll do it, um, uh, I can't add anything, then I'll just be wicked. Well, to aim for wickedness is to be a fool and, will, and, and could cause untimely death. 
You cannot po postpone your death by being smart, but you might be able to hasten your death by being stupid. That's <laughs> what the preacher said. You know, we can do things that ultimately, uh, ultimately could lead to our destruction. Um, and, and so the teacher says, don't be overly wicked. Uh, so is it okay to be a little bit wicked? <laughs> no, he, he's already told us, guess what? You already are. <laughs> you already are. Verse 20 again. There's none. There, there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. So uh, don't say, well, you know, I can't be overly wicked. I'll just be a little bit wicked. You already are. We are all totally depraved creatures. We are all sinners. Perfect goodness is beyond us. And even the best of our works are corrupted by sin. Even the things that we do that the world might look and say, oh, that's good. It's corrupted by sin because of the, the attitude, the motivation of our heart, self-glory, self-serving, pride, arrogance, trying to manipulate God, trying to, uh, to, to force him to bless us. And so perfect goodness is beyond us. Even those things that we do that might be called good are corrupted by sin. And, and, and so it's with this truth in mind that the preacher counsels us not to be overly wicked. As much as it depends upon you, as much as within your strength, you should strive to avoid wickedness. Try not to sin deliberately. Try not to choose evil. Uh, avoid deliberate, intentional, persistent wickedness. Because those things could be the cause of you dying before your time. Um, we can think of criminals who live to a long age, but we can also think of uh, you see it on the news every night. Uh, young criminals, gang members slain in the streets of the major cities in our country. Young people, very young people killed in drug deals gone bad or, or the number one killer in our country between people from 18 to 34. Up until this year, last year, the number one killer between of young people 18 to 34 was what? Last year, car accident. Car accidents last year. What is it this year? Fentanyl, drug overdose, opiate, opiate abuse. The number one killer of young people from 18 to 34. And so uh, um, you can't add to your life by trying to be righteous, but by wickedness and evil and foolishness, you might very well take away from your life. Sin in our life is inevitable for those who embrace it as a lifestyle can often be destroyed by it you will not prolong your life through attempts to be righteous and wise but you very well might destroy it by being wicked and foolish so the preacher counsels us verse 18 it's good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other so both those things that i've told you do those things. Don't be overly wicked, overly wise, but at the same time, don't be overly wicked or foolish. Grasp one and do not let go of the other. Just grasp, grasp this and not remove your hand from this. Don't strive to prolong your life by excessive righteousness and wisdom, but at the same time, do not recklessly pursue wickedness and foolishness. Don't strive to be super righteous because that's impossible for a sinner, but at the same time, 
do not choose to be very wicked because that's foolish and dangerous. And so uh, the preacher has observed an upside down world. I see a world where the righteous perish and the wicked prosper. The answer is not to just try real hard to be good that I might add to my life. And the answer is also not, well, what's the use of being righteous if I'm just going to die young anyway? You only live once. <laughs> I'm going to just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Don't do that either, the preacher says. Don't do either one of those things. Those are not the answer. And then he gives, he's told us what's not the answer, but he, in, his, in, in God's mercy and grace, he, he gives us the key. How do we live in a world that's upside down? How do we live in a world where a just man perishes in his righteousness and where the wicked prolongs life in his wickedness? The last part of verse 18. He who fears God will escape them all. So how do we live in an upside down world? Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Recognize His sovereignty. The one who fears God will escape the temptation to over-righteousness and over-wickedness. He will escape them both. People who fear God will not strive to prolong their life through super self-righteousness, since that's impossible, even for the most righteous sinner. Because even the most righteous sinner is still a sinner. And since God has set the time to be born, the time to die, he, writers already told us that in Ecclesiastes 3, is time to be born, time to die. Been set by God in heaven. Since that time has been set, don't try to prolong your life through super-righteousness because that would be prideful and arrogant, as we talked about. And pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And people who fear God will also not be overly wicked. Those who fear God will seek to be obedient to Him, not in an attempt to prolong their life, but in an, an attempt to do that which is pleasing to God. So how do we live in an upside-down world? Fear the Lord. Acknowledge God's sovereignty. The preachers told us that God has, uh, he has, be joyful in the day of prosperity and in the day of adversity, consider God as appointed one as well as the other. God has uh, ordained uh, that those who, uh, that the wages of sin is death and that we're all sinners. And we acknowledge God's sovereignty and that God works in ways that we do not understand. We don't understand uh, Cain and Abel and Naboth and Ahab. and We don't understand the things that we observe and we see, but we recognize that God is sovereign and God is working a good and glorious purpose. And God will not be manipulated by our, our actions. He is unchanging and He is perfectly just and righteous and holy. And so we acknowledge God's sovereignty. We fear God and recognize that our lives are in His hands. And then second, we acknowledge our sinfulness. We recognize that there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And so when we look and we see a just man perishing in his righteousness, that man's really not just. He's, he, he, he might 
be good according to the standard by which we measure, but he has fallen short of God's holy standard. There is none that is righteous, not even one. There is none who does not deserve death. There's not one person on this earth who is breathing that is not a recipient of God's mercy. Because if we got, deserve, if we got what we deserve from God, we would all be in hell. And so we acknowledge our sinfulness that we shall fall short of God's holy standard no matter how hard I try no matter how many good things that I do no matter how much righteousness that I practice I still fall short of God's holy standard and even those good and righteous acts I do are corrupted by my sin and so we acknowledge God's sovereignty we acknowledge our sinfulness and we acknowledge God's mercy and grace and and you know when we Read the command, don't be overly righteous. And then we fast forward to that other preacher in Matthew who says, you know what? I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. And so we recognize our sinfulness. And then uh, Jesus, we recognize that we need a Savior. And God has sent a Savior in Christ Jesus. And it's impossible for us to prolong our lives by super-righteousness but we can receive the free gift of eternal life by God's grace through faith as he sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost, to call those who acknowledge their sinfulness and their inability. And so how do you survive in, in an upside-down world? Well, you acknowledge God's sovereignty. You acknowledge your sinfulness. You acknowledge God's mercy and grace. And you acknowledge the fact that you believe that you need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. Jesus has done what we could not do. He achieved perfect righteousness. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our unrighteousness. And God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and God's wrath has been turned away. And when we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus, his righteousness is credited to us. And by grace, through faith, we can stand before God that is a perfect, in a perfect righteousness. But it's not a righteousness that is our own. It is a righteousness that has been credited to us by God's kindness in Christ. It's not from ourselves. It's not a result of our self-effort. But it is a free gift from God in Christ. And also, when we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus, we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works within us to will and do according to His good pleasure. And the Holy Spirit also produces righteous actions. Uh, we're clothed in Christ's righteousness as a free gift of His grace, but the Holy Spirit then also works to produce really righteous deeds that come from a pure heart recreated by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit works within us to will and to do according to His good pleasure. And the Holy Spirit produces righteous actions, not through self-effort, not self-serving. The motive is not to prolong our life because we've already received the free gift of eternal life. The motive is to give God glory, to be pleasing to Him, and to give Him gratitude for the incredible gift of righteousness in Christ that he's already given to us. So how do I live in an upside-down world? Fear God. Acknowledge 
His sovereignty and His power and His righteousness and His holiness. Acknowledge our sinfulness and our unworthiness. No matter how hard I work, I can't add a minute to my life. Acknowledge God's mercy and grace and my need for a Savior and my gratitude that God sent His Son into the world that whoever believes in Him might have a righteousness that does not come from Himself, but a righteousness that is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Questions about how to live in an upside-down world. Preacher makes us think, doesn't he? (laughs) He does indeed. Any other thoughts? That's exactly right. Yep, exactly right. And to pursue righteousness for the right with the right heart. For God's glory and for us to become in our practice what he's made us in position. He's made us righteous and the spirit produces righteous acts. And so we can, when we're born again, we can do right things with the right heart in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's that? No, it comes natural. (laughs) That's right, it comes natural. All right, let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word, Lord, and we thank you that it is so uh, uh, profound. And and a lifetime of study, Lord, uh, uh, we still always, always more that we need to learn and can learn about you and your greatness. You are so unlimited, our understanding is so limited that... uh, a lifetime of study cannot exhaust what we need to know and can know about you. And Lord, yet it's also so simple that we can understand. Fear God. Live in fear of the Lord. And Lord, we recognize we live in a, in a land and a place where there seems to be no fear of God. No fear of you. No fear of being overly righteous or overly wicked. And, Lord, so many around us pursuing lifestyles that will lead to destruction. God, we pray for uh, your spirit to to breathe life and to draw sinners to yourself, Lord. And just fill this land with a fear of God, a recognition of your sovereignty and our sinfulness that we deserve your judgment. But then also feel fear Fill this land with an awareness of the beauty of Jesus, uh, the perfect righteous one who offers forgiveness and eternal life through repentance and faith in him. So, Lord, we pray that you help us to, uh, to, to strike the balance, to, uh, uh, to do what's right and good with the right heart and for the right reason. Guard us from pride, from self-serving, from self-centeredness, And Lord, help us to seek to live lives that bring you glory and are pleasing in your sight uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may your spirit work within us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. In Jesus' name we pray.